We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, story of soccer legends. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. All narrated by Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating podcast. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and check out Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends, wherever you get your podcasts. The Uncontested Podcast presents Under the Bubble, a special podcast series previewing all 22 teams returning to play at Disney World. We're talking to podcasters, writers, and bloggers who cover these teams to get you all caught up before the NBA is back in action on July 31st. Tune in every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts, for the latest episode in the series. What is up and welcome to The Uncontested. This is episode number five of the Under the Bubble series. So excited to have you guys back. If you haven't listened to episode one through four, I'd highly encourage you to go back and do so. Before we get any farther, I want to let you guys know that we are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomtownHoops.com. Really special episode for you guys today. We're covering three teams. First, Justin had Keith Parrish, the host and co-creator of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast, to come on and talk about the team currently in eighth in the West, the Memphis Grizzlies. Then I sat down with Mike Richmond of NBC Sports Northwest and the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers and their quest to make the playoffs. And then... Justin was joined by Salman Ali, host of the Red Hoops Nation and contributor to ESPN 97.5 to talk about maybe one of the teams that has the highest ceiling but the lowest floor in the bubble, the Houston Rockets. 
So with all that being said, make sure you guys subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Go back and listen to the earlier episodes of Under the Bubble if you have not yet already done so. And let's get you over to Justin's conversation with Keith. We are now joined by the host and creator of both the Grits and Grinds and Fast Break Breakfast podcast to talk all things Memphis Grizzlies with us, Keith Parrish. You can follow both podcasts on Twitter at Grits Grinds and at Fast Break Break and subscribe anywhere that you get your podcasts. Keith, thank you so much for being here today. I'm happy to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. We had you on for our season preview series. And yeah. now we kind of get to do it all again because it feels like we just went through an off season. No, we had the season preview and you were you were pretty hyped. I can't remember. I feel like you were really hyped to tank. How are you feeling right now um, with th- the, the Thunder 16 <laughs> games over 500 and all your dreams of a high draft pick completely dashed? Well, it feels very different. <laughs> I can't you know, remember. <laughs> Sorry, even, even through the first month of the season, we were really excited about competitive tanking is what we were calling it, where yeah. we were losing by like three, five points and losing. And it was like, this is great. They're they're not getting blown out, but they're still losing. Um, and then something clicked with this team and they got really fun. And Chris Paul decided to never miss a mid-range shot. And they decided to never lose a clutch game. And here we are. <laughs> that that clutch thing, I was looking at those stats not too long ago where it's like the Thunder, it's like if you do all the different filters on NBA.com and it's yeah. like, oh, if a, if a game was in three minutes or there's three minutes left, game within four points, whatever. Chris Paul was 16 and five. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's weird. It's absurd. And then, and then you change it around and whatever. Uh, three minute game or a three point game in the last minute. Like Dennis Schroeder was 10 and two when he was on the court. Like that's <laughs> right. all. It's all madness. Not to hijack your show, but are you worried that the the pause of the season has ruined this unreasonable magic that I the am. Thunder had? I, I've been very vocal of my thoughts on the Thunder being overachievers this entire season. Yeah, they had no business doing what they were doing. No. They were winning all of their games, and they had those <laughs> right. these incredible clutch stats that we talked about. It seems like the three months off, I mean, I probably for every team we have no idea yeah. what any team is going to look like right but especially the thunder they're an easy one for i guess a guy like me who does general nba podcast on fast right. breakfast to like to be to circle and be like that's a team that the shutdown is bad for yeah you know, so i i think it'll it'll be fascinating i think the one positive they have going for them is their worst stretch of the season was the beginning of the season and i think a lot of that can be chalked up to you know them being a new group that had never played together finding their chemistry i don't think they'll have to re-explore that i think the chemistry will be there it's just a matter of if the performance can match what they've done which is uh, a question for all teams that are entering the bubble mm-hmm. um let's move to your your memphis grizzlies uh who you cover at grits and grinds they were sitting at 32 and 33 prior to the suspension, which, as everybody knows, they were holding the eighth seed in the West. They'd oh. gone four and seven since All-Star break, which uh, included, was it a five-game losing streak out that of feel- All-Star break? That feels right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not great, but they had kind of rebounded since then. So now the question with them is, uh, do they have enough to hold on to the eighth seed? Are they going to get pulled into the, the play-in tournament, as they've dubbed it? Do you think that they have enough to be safe, or do you think the play-in tournament is kind of inevitable? Well, I think the way they designed it, the way the NBA designed it, the play-in tournament is 
basically inevitable. Yeah. Like to avoid the play in tournament, and this part does feel unfair as a Grizzlies fan. I think basically the setup gives a big advantage to the Grizzlies. They're almost certain there's basically no way they can fall out of the play in game or the They're not going to be in tenth. Yeah, it's right. almost impossible for them to do that poorly. Uh, but the the part that I think rubs Grizzlies fans the wrong way is if no team catches up to the Grizzlies, they still have to do the play in yeah. game. Like yeah. it's incumbent on the Grizzlies to have a better record on these teams that are chasing them on all of them. They have to have a better record than the Kings, Pelicans, and uh, what uh, Trailblazers, and not to mention the Spurs and the Suns right. hanging out there. Right. And that part feels weird. Where it's like if we play eight more games and we're still up three and a half games, it is objectively morally wrong to make the Grizzlies do a play in. Like th there's yeah. no way they were going to get sure. caught. Um, yeah. But everything else, I mean, no. It, it definitely favors the Grizzlies. When the season stopped, I want to say in Vegas, it was basically you know even money to not even money that the mm -hmm. Grizzlies like were, like weren't going to make the playoffs. Right. It was right. something like because, they, they were the, yeah. they were an underdog to make the playoffs ma mainly because everyone was so carried away with the Pelicans. That's but still, exactly what I was going to say. Like like Zion uh, mania was at full force. But it's true. The Grizzlies' schedule is hard. Like what the Grizzlies are playing at the NBA restart. It's literally their actual schedule that they had coming up. So there's yeah. like there's yeah, nothing yeah. changed there. Um, and so then when you had this restart, and like okay, now there's eight games, and then you get the play-in game if you're within three and a half game or within four games. The Grizzlies' odds of making the playoffs increased greatly by yeah. this season stopping. So while I think it's not cool that <laughs> if no one <laughs> gains ground on them, they still have to do the play-in. It's still you have two shots to beat a team, right. even if a team is right. better than you. You know, if the Pelicans have a 65% chance of beating the Grizzlies, they still have to do it, you know, and you get that 35% shot twice. Right. And those aren't my odds. I just made those up. Just well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the point still stands, though. It, right. If they are deserving of being in the playoffs, that shouldn't be a big challenge. Uh, whether they should have to go through that extra hoop is a yeah. different question. Right. So as we're looking back, what would you consider to be some of the highlights of the Grizzlies season up to this point? Uh, highlights were, I mean, in a broad sense, just the arrival of John Morant and him being a legitimate NBA All-Star type player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's there. There are certain games. There's uh, a game recently before the shutdown when they ended. I guess it was a five-game losing streak, and they beat the Lakers. Lakers. Right. They blew out the Lakers, and that was just John Morant basically by himself. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. was hurt that game, mm -hmm. so that was a big win. There's a bunch of big wins. Like they had a bunch of. As I said, there's a big triple-double that John Morant had against the Wizards. There's the game against the Rockets where the Grizzlies just pounded the Rockets when uh, John Morant hit a bunch of threes. And the first one, it started... Again, this is like this is feels like years ago, but I, I want to say John Morant was nine for ten from the field. Yeah, and his first deep three, Harden just let him shoot, and John Morant turns to the camera and says, "You better tell that mf'er about me," and like and like it was just that. We're it's like, hard not to love that. Yeah, you're like everyone hates Harden, and John Morant just destroyed him. And I mean, I'm one of those weirdos on Twitter where I'm always like, John Morant is the first rookie to ever do this, this, and this, and it's always he had so many of those things, and yeah. we're still. Right now, you know, the odds are that the Grizzlies are going to make the playoffs. Mathematically, it's very likely they're going to be the eighth right. seed. And if they do that, he'll just be the third rookie to lead his team in points and assists to the playoffs. It's Elgin Baylor and Magic Johnson wow. the only ones to do that. I think the only rookies to average he he needs to he needs to average, I think, seven point four assists 
to raise his assists for the season up to seven. I, actually, that's just assuming the restart games count as regular season games. That I've, is a good question. <laughs> I've still never seen anything official. Yeah. They've been um, calling them seeding games, right. which feels so, so, maybe, so maybe it doesn't count. But he's like flirting with all these things where it's yeah. like, uh, I think Magic Johnson is the only rookie to go average 17-7 and seven and take his team to the playoffs. Um, and just his, his efficiency, everything about John Morant has been the highlight of the season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's shooting, I think, over 48% from the field. Like the list of guys who have even averaged 17 points per game, six assists per game, and shot 48% from the field, it's like, you know, it's like 50 or 60 people, but basically they're all all-stars. Yeah, and, right. and, everyone who, and everyone who's done it twice, I think there's 22 players who've done that twice. And again, we're playing with arbitrary stat cutoff lines, but it's hey, still like... This th is a Thunder podcast. We're okay with that. There you go. But it's still a thing like there's 22 <laughs> players who have ever hit these benchmarks twice, and they've all been all-stars. And most of them are yeah. Hall of Famers. And John Moran's doing it his rookie year. So the highlight of the season is this team where, much like the Thunder, we started our year poorly mm -hmm. because we were tanking. We were playing 12 right. guys per game, and <laughs> no one expected the Grizzlies to be good, and John Morant was learning how to play, and no one was playing more than like 28 minutes per game. And then it's like, oh, John Morant is awesome. And they started figuring some things out. They, they realized their depth was a strength. They started rotating in. They kind of – everyone found their groove. And then come December, the Grizzlies got good. And then it was like, oh, wait, like we're kind of good. Now let's right. just do that. Yeah, um, that, so that's, that's been, a yeah. very similar storyline right, yeah. arc to the Thunder of like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, this team might actually be decent, right? And yeah. maybe we should embrace that. Yeah, uh, it took a little, it took a little bit to get used to that, but I think, I think absolutely everything you said, John Morant. I mean, not only a highlight for the Memphis Grizzlies, but a highlight of the NBA season as a whole. Yeah. He's been unreal. I think what we saw, you know, his kind of explosion during the NCAA tournament last year has really continued on the on the NBA stage, and I think it's been awesome to watch. Just just as an NBA fan in general. He's become a national NBA star. And it's just, yeah. he's so exciting. And I don't know if people have missed seeing him play, but like one of the things where I hope this restart, if it hopefully can happen without Hitch, is right. just like people seeing John Moran are going to fall in love. The way he plays basketball, it's so exciting. And it's yep. so hilariously fun. And he does so many goofy things, like behind the back <laughs> passes, between the legs passes, and dunks you don't think he can do. And he misses dunks where he jumps over guys. And it's constant. I it's, was going to say, even his missed dunks right. are usually highlight-worthy. Yeah. So, so that's it's something. Like, so he, he, he's been absolutely astounding to watch. And he's an easy person to cheer for. No one yeah. besides besides Clippers and Thunders fans, no one hates the Grizzlies. So like <laughs> it, they're an easy team to jump on the bandwagon to be like, like, hey, this John yeah. Morant, he's cool. Yeah, well, even even Thunder fans, I think, would admit that that we're <laughs> fans of John Morant, at yeah. least most of us. Um, so I want to ask you about somebody who's hmm, equally as exciting, probably, uh, Anthony Tolliver. Uh, oh. teams, are, teams are signing lots of guys <laughs> to kind of fill in the gaps on their rosters. They head to Orlando. Memphis recently announced that they will be signing Anthony Tolliver for the remainder of the season. Do you think that that has an impact on Orlando, or is it just kind of a, a – an extra person on the bench. I think it's an extra guy on the bench. And honestly, it might be a veteran setting an example. The squad is yeah. so young. Mm -hmm. The The Grizzlies two-way players are basically the oldest guys on the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like Utah Watanabe, I think, is the fourth oldest player on the Grizzlies. That's fantastic. And, it, and it's so I, I honestly think you have two young guys. And again, if the Grizzlies make the playoffs, I think they're the only team besides the KG and Stephen Marbury Timberwolves to make the playoffs wow. with two guys under the age of 21 huh. um, leading the team in scoring. So, like, uh, the team is so young. Yeah. And maybe in this Disney bubble, things are going to get weird 
And maybe yeah. it's just well, maybe it's I just think good that's to a have. <laughs> maybe it's good just to have like a thirty-year-old veteran to kind of be like, "This is how we do things." So I yeah. I don't think he's going to make a huge impact on the court as long as everyone's healthy. Hopefully, he doesn't play. I mean, that that's kind of where yep. we're at. Yep. On that note, the the one kind of outstanding injury concern maybe is Brandon Clark had a quad injury heading into the the shutdown. It sounds like he'll probably be good for Orlando. Any reason for concern there? I mean, a mild reason for concern for maybe long-term Brandon Clark. Yeah. Because the word was when the season shut down was hopefully Brandon Clark will be back in a week or two. Mm-hmm. And he's also had, throughout the season, he wasn't played on back-to-backs a lot. Mm-hmm. And there was a few times when Jaron Jackson Jr. was injured where Brandon Clark would get the start and then he would leave the game. So uh, there's the smallest hint of concern of like, does he have some ki- some injury issue or like a sore back, sore hip, because I feel like they cite those things a lot. Right. And so when they said, after three months of no basketball, like, is Brandon Clark back? They're like, yeah, he's looking good. And just, <laughs> right. it, it didn't sound not confident. It was like, I thought he was going to play in March. Right. <laughs> like, we're, we're talking it's about July. July. <laughs> Why are we still being like, well, maybe Brandon Clark will be limited. It's like, oh. So I don't know. Well, and, and maybe that's one of those reasons he slid in the draft, you know, because he's, yeah, been, sure. he's been incredible when he's been on the court. And so I am, I guess, slightly worried when I read the subtext around, like, yeah, we think he's going to be fine. Well, as a as a Thunder fan, you know, we've been waiting on Andre Robertson for about two years now. Um, I think it was <laughs> at, at media day before the season that he said he was a full go, full go. and uh, he's yet to play a minute. So we'll see if that turns around in the bubble, but I'm not holding my breath. So. As we look at Memphis heading into Orlando, uh, we've talked a little bit about where the team was headed, what some of the highlights were. I want to know a little more, how are you feeling about the schedule? You mentioned that you don't feel like it's a disadvantage. There's lots of people that do feel like Memphis is at a bit of a disadvantage. Kind of expand on that a little bit. I mean, again, the Grizzlies' actual schedule when the season stopped was at Portland, and then they had to go at Sacramento. They had to play at the Clippers, I think. Not Not the Clippers. Well, whatever, whatever their actual schedule is, they had to play half those on the road. And they were without Jaron Jackson Jr. They hoped he was coming back point. soon. Uh, like, the Grizzlies were literally, they were saved by the bell. I just watched this ultimate fighting movie called Warrior last night. Nice. And, and there is great, great sports movie. Uh, but there was a few, like, where the guy got saved by the bell, and that was the Grizzlies, where the shutdown was a perfect, like, oh, if this season stops for a week or two, that's pretty good for the Grizzlies. Yeah. Um, but it went for three months. And uh, so they, they were struggling with just with injuries. And so now having all these games on a neutral court, when a lot of the teams have already said, like, yeah, we're not really going to play our guys full yeah, minutes. Right. We're kind of like going to mess around. Like they have tough, they have tough games against the, the teams that are chasing them. Like they have to play the Trailblazers, but I mean, Trailblazers don't have Trevor Ariza, who was their only small forward on their roster. Basically, right. uh, they're going to try to incorporate Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins. They uh-huh. played them first, like that's a big game. Yeah, the Trailblazers right. can win it, but like that's not a tough game. And sure. again, people are forgetting the Trailblazers weren't good all year. That that is conveniently forgotten. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, again, like like that's that's a toss up game. So you know, but it's like all right, the Grizzlies could win, they could lose. Yep. And then you play these other good teams where it's like. The end of their schedule is like they play the Lakers. The Lakers aren't going to have anything to play for. Right. Their last three games are against Eastern Conference teams. We assume the seeding will be set. Like they play the Bucks the last game. There's yep. no chance that right. Giannis Antetokounmpo or like George Hill suits up for that game. So <laughs> I mean, the, the the schedule is hard, 
But again, I don't think most of the teams are playing are going to be going that hard out. And again, it's almost impossible to fall on your face. Like if the Grizzlies win one game, two other teams behind them have to go five and three. And they're probably not like the Pelicans might go five and three. um, But like the other teams aren't, I don't think. Maybe the Kings could, but that's why it's still like I'm not worried about the schedule. It is what the Grizzlies were facing. So I'm not having to play it now on a neutral court in this situation. And you get to add a healthy Jaron Jackson Jr. You get to add a healthy Brandon Clark. You get to add in a Justice Winslow. You get a new starting yeah. small forward who we assume is going to help them. No, I don't feel like it's it's a problem. And again, it's it's completely fair. People saying it was a weird conspiracy to assure Zion makes the playoffs. <laughs> no, it's not. It was literally the Grizzlies schedule. Everything about this kind of screws the Pelicans and it actually helps the Grizzlies. So Yeah. And I think it, it does set up, like you mentioned, the, the bigger thing is that the the play-in tournament is most likely guaranteed. Yeah. And setting up Jaw versus Zion for a right to the playoffs, like, that's unbeatable. And I think any way you slice it, uh, is that's probably the most likely outcome of what happens in the mm-hmm. bubble. Um, you know, whether or not schedules were tampered with or re- replacement teams were swapped. Uh, I think I think you brought up some good points about the schedule and and putting those on a neutral site instead. I want to hit on, you mentioned justice Winslow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you expect to see out of him? You know, he, he, there was the big trade. Everybody was really excited to see him in Memphis, but he's rehabbing from an injury. And so we haven't really gotten to see how he works with the Memphis Grizzlies. What do you expect to see from him in Orlando? The fit on paper theoretically seems great. He's a, he's another lockdown defender to add to a team that actually has a surprising amount of, of yeah. pretty good defenders. Uh, he can play that three. Two, like last season and the year before, he was a, he was a very, I guess, decent three-point shooter, but a very good standstill three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. So if he can just make a normal volume of threes, play defense, do a little bit of secondary playmaking, he seems like a great fit to fill in a hole in the starting lineup that they sh- weren't sure what to do with. Like if you're getting mm-hmm. your offense from – uh, John Morant and Valanchunas and Jaron Jackson Jr. Just having him is, a, is like a fourth or a fifth option because, I mean, Dylan Brooks, his role is to score, basically. So the idea is that the fit seems perfect. He adds depth and just another guy who can be a secondary ball handler, creator, and a defender. And he's young. He's part of the core for right. the future. Yeah. Uh, he, he just turned 24, I want to say, like a week and a half ago. So he's very young. He's under contract. There are the injury concerns. I mean, this is another thing where he hasn't played yep. in a long time. And he was basically untradeable if you read Miami Heat blogs from last year. <laughs> it, I mean, it, they were literally like, yeah. would you trade Jimmy Butler? Uh, would you trade Justice Winston for Jimmy Butler? And they're like, no. No. We'd rather have our young guy. <laughs> I mean, I want to say like he was in the, yeah. like a, a, a ringer trade value column. He was like 41st in the entire NBA for like two years ago. I mean, he hasn't played, and he's like faded from memory. Um, and he had a poor shooting season in the few games he played this year. But if they get the player that we saw in the NBA the two previous seasons, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. another awesome fit for the Grizzlies, and it just makes him a little bit deeper. And hopefully he can fit, make some nice cohesion between, like, the guys we know are good, having that John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., to fill in those wings um, to guys that that complement the play of John and Jaron. Yeah, I I love it. I love Justice Winslow. I was hoping he would end up in Oklahoma City when it looked like – Danilo Gallinari was going to be headed to Miami, uh, but he ended up in Memphis. I think, I think everything you hit on is a great point. I think he, he's a little bit underrated. I think people have, have forgotten a little bit of what he can show. I think it'll be fascinating to watch, to see what he brings and what he looks like in Orlando. 
Any other big changes that you expect to see from the Grizzlies? Like, do you think that Taylor Jenkins has spent this time concocting some new strategy that we haven't seen out of Memphis this season? Or do you think it'll mostly look kind of like the Grizzlies that we've seen so far? I think Taylor Jenkins explicitly said today on Wednesday, he's not going to change anything up. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, we're not going to be a new team. I mean, I think the fun thing about this whole shutdown and when we dream about, like, what's this three months off going to be? Like, is it going to be another offseason? As a Grizzlies fan, I dream, what if all these young guys take another, like, mini leap? What if they spent the time, like, hey, the season got shut down, and now our minds and bodies are catching up to what we've been experiencing, and maybe we're, we're, like, having a chance to take a time out and be like, ja, what did you learn over the last two yeah. months? And well, so, like, we we joked about it at the beginning about this feeling like another off season. Yeah, like you see the the leaps that players take from their first to second year. You could see that in some of these rookies, given the three months off. I mean, you really could. And and for again, for the Grizzlies, who some of their most important players, you know, John Jaron are twenty, D'Anthony Melton's twenty one. Uh, I mean, Brandon Clark, I think he's twenty three, but he's he's a rookie. Right. It's like all these guys yep. are young. And just like if they all incrementally improve, there's also the, the flip side argument. If you want to spin the narrative, like these guys don't have their routines set in yet. Hmm. So yeah. advantage veterans who can show up and get their bodies right. And, you know, so I don't know. But I think it will be interesting to see if they can have a new, you know, if they have a second training camp and they can incorporate Justice Winslow and get a jump start on next season. Like this team could be pretty solid, especially if like Jaron and Jaw are clicking even better than they were playing when the season uh, took its pause. Absolutely. So I want to ask now, I, I need some predictions. You mentioned that mm-hmm. you, you think it's pretty much a given, and I agree, that that the Grizzlies are at least going to make it to the play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, where do you see them netting out? Are they a first-round exit? Do you think there's a chance that they they shock the world and upset somebody? Or do you think um, – well, do you think it's a competitive first round series? How do you see it playing? Well, out? when you say somebody, it's the Lakers. I mean, <laughs> right. it, like the, the, the Lakers are going to be the one seed unless something drastic happens. The Grizzlies are going to be the eight seed unless like a one in 10,000 chance where the Mavericks lose all their games and the Grizzlies win all their games. So like there's they're going to play the Lakers if they make the playoffs. And, you know, that's not the best outcome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do think that the Grizzlies are not going to be dominated by the Lakers. I think that's important that maybe mm-hmm. national media will brush over. Uh, Jacob Goldstein from Nylon Calculus, his computer model actually gave the Grizzlies an 18% chance of beating the Lakers in the first round, um, which is like pretty high for 8-1. Yeah. For to one. Um, I've been telling people that the Lakers are a good matchup for the Grizzlies as far as if you have to play a really good team. If you have to play a team that's way better than you, uh, <laughs> it's, good, it's good to play one that doesn't have anyone great at guarding point guards. Because my opinion is John Morant has struggled against teams with a very solid Mm on-ball defender. They've struggled against the Pelicans, against Drew Holiday. They got crushed against the Sixers. I mean, just one game, but like Ben Simmons would not let John Morant do anything. And so John Morant is still a little casual at times, and maybe that's rookie cockiness or something, but... He's had good games against the Lakers. They've the Grizzlies beat the Lakers once. They played them down to the wire early in the season. Um, they got crushed like beginning of the season when no one knew anything, and then they lost without Jaron Jackson Jr. Another game. So like they've played them competitively, and yeah. losing Avery Bradley it hurts them a little. Like it's again, it's not going to swing the series if LeBron James and Anthony Davis do their thing. The Grizzlies, I mean, the Grizzlies will lose. 
probably comfortably, right. but I, I do expect it to be a competitive five or six game series. I'm not going to be shocked at all if the Grizzlies win two games. Um, I mean, I won't be shocked if they get swept either because the, Grizz- <laughs> the Grizzlies' strength of, of having a deep lineup doesn't help you as much in the playoffs sure, when it's right. all about like your top-end talent. Yep. And if we see MVP LeBron and near-MVP Anthony Davis, no, we can't really do anything about that. But the Grizzlies do have big bodies. They have Gorgie Jang as their fourth big. You have Valanciunas who can match up with the Lakers' big front line. And so I do think it would be a very competitive series. If they could get anybody else, Like I do <laughs> think they could beat a lot of these other teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I don't think, they could, I don't think they're going to beat the Lakers. You know, it reminds me a lot of looking back on, on the Thunder's kind of first title contending run. That first year they made the playoffs and they faced the Lakers. Uh, and they kind of shocked everybody by pushing it to six games, mm-hmm. uh, which was a huge deal. But ultimately, you know, it was the the height of Kobe and Pau Gasol in L.A. And there's just not much you can do to stop that. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar performance where, you know, the young, scrappy Memphis Grizzlies give the Lakers a fit. They're super fun. They kind of capture the hearts of everybody that hates the Lakers uh, and gets everybody on their side rooting for them. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's probably too much to overcome LeBron and Anthony Davis. Right. I agree. I mean, I'm optimistic because, again, like, they're so young. Maybe they're so dumb they don't know to be nervous. Maybe it's the <laughs> right. open gym thing where you don't know any better. And, yeah. like, they are so athletic and talented that, like, that's the kind of team where a veteran Lakers team, the Lakers are like, this sucks. This team runs so fast. Right. Like, you know, and, like, uh, and you again, if you could throw just, I mean, Justice Winslow, if he is what we've seen before, and if he is like this great defender, strong defender, D'Anthony Melton is an incredible defender. If they throw Kyle Anderson out there, just like there's so many like weird bodies. And then if you have Jaron Jackson Jr. bombing threes where he takes six or seven threes per game and hits 40% of them. And then you have Brandon Clark coming off the bench who is true shooting percentage is like 70%. So it's just like they never stop. When healthy, what we've seen from the Grizzlies has been very exhilarating. We haven't seen all the pieces together all the time, but right. when they have played, it's been like, oh, my gosh, this team might be really good in a few years. And so I do hope we at least get one of those games on the national stage of the playoffs so everyone can see, like, wow, this team's going to be tough. Absolutely. It should be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you one more question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to play a quick game. Because the league is resuming in Disney World, I'm going to name a Disney character, and I want you to tell me who from the Grizzlies most closely matches. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Let's start with uh, my son's favorite character, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. I got to say that is Jonas Valanciunas just because of the jawline. I feel like it's a very <laughs> – I can see Buzz Lightyear. I mean, Jonas I like dressed it. up as a giant seven-foot Buzz Lightyear for yes. Halloween. Yeah. Maybe he'll maybe he'll moonlight. You know, He'll he sneak could. into the park and, and pop on that character, <laughs> right. get the wings on. I mean, right. Buzz Lightyear does wear a uh, a shield over his head, so he could still be protected. He, yeah, no, I'm I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> do do the, um, the Midway Mania if you're out oh, to Hollywood yes. Studios. It's best. So ride. good. Oh man. <laughs> Let's do Elsa next. Elsa. Uh, that's gotta be that's gotta be my guy Dylan Brooks because he's kind of a diva, <laughs> and and when he gets cold, it's cold. 
when he gets mm. when, when Dil- Dylan was off uh, the last 18 games or something. I can't remember what it was. No, it was the last 10 games. It was after he called out Andre Iguodala incredibly. Yeah. And was like, right. get, the, get the guy out of here. And then he got his extension basically the next day. They gave him a, I think it was a four for 40 year extension. And then uh, he didn't hit his shot. <laughs> the, next, the next seven or eight games, it was ice. good timing. Right. Yeah. I like it. Ice Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Next, uh, let's go to my childhood favorite, Simba. Oh, that's Ja. He, I mean, he's the next king. He I just like can't. It. He just can't wait to be king. That's, that's, I that's like easy. it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now let's do. Let's go, Eeyore. Eeyore. Who's this sad old man? Uh, Anthony Tolliver. Yeah, probably Anthony Tolliver. <laughs> Anthony Tolliver has kind of that like. Sort of a Scatman Crothers kind of bags under his eyes. Yeah, kind of like, sad like, eyes. Yeah, sad eyes. Yeah, no. Yeah, Anthony Tolliver. That's right. That's <laughs> I like it. it. You nailed it. Yeah. I like it. Uh, last but certainly not least, what about Tigger? Tigger. Oh, that's Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, he's a he isn't the bounciest. Maybe I should pick the bounciest guy. I mean, he can jump high, but he's not yeah. that second spring. Yeah. But he is he's playful. I, I'll I'll stick with Jaron like Jackson it. Jr. He's a playful guy. He feels like a Tigger. I like it. Very good. Well, Keith, thank you so much once again. We always appreciate you coming on. Uh, Anytime you want to talk Memphis Grizzlies, we are more than happy to have you. Go check out Keith's two podcasts, Grits and Grinds and Fast Break Breakfast. Find them on Twitter. Find them anywhere you get your podcasts. I highly recommend it for both Memphis Grizzlies and general NBA coverage. Uh, It's hard to find much better. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Get in the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out our odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out the daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now let's get you over to my talk with Mike Richmond of NBC Sports Northwest and Locked On Blazers about the Portland Trailblazers. All right, we are now joined by Mike Richmond to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Mike is a Trailblazers reporter for NBC Sports Northwest, and he is the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Mike G. Rich, uh, and Locked On Blazers is anywhere you get your, your podcast from, so make sure to check that out. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this. So we're going to break down kind of where Portland's been and what we expect from them down in the bubble. Uh, right before the the team went on hiatus, obviously this team has had horrific injury luck this season with guys just going down left and right. Um, but coming into the the hiatus, right before the league announced that they were shutting down, there was some hope that the Blazers were going to get at least maybe one of these guys, Nurkic, back before the playoffs started and maybe help Portland out. So maybe this break has been a little bit good for them to, in order to get health back. But 29-37 and 37 on the season, ninth in the West, three and a half games out of eighth. Although it's a little weird because Portland has played, what is it, two more games than most of those other teams there. So they're higher up in win percentage. 
Uh, four and six since the All-Star break, one and two in the last three before we went on the break. Um, can you just kind of give us a quick recap of, of the Blazers' season in a nutshell before the league shut down? Sure. They came into the season thinking they were a championship-level team. Then on opening night, they played Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver in the regular rotation. Turns out those players suck, and their team wasn't very good. They immediately had some bum injury luck. Zach Collins got hurt in the third quarter of the third game of the season. Then uh, they signed Carmelo Anthony because they didn't have any forwards on the roster, like literally none. Uh, Carmelo was kind of good, but the Blazers... Only had about two and a half weeks before Rodney Hood uh, ruptured his Achilles. Uh, they weren't good after that. They kind of stayed in shouting distance of eighth place. And then heading into the All-Star break, Damian Lillard injured his ankle. And they came out of the break and went two and four in the six games that Damian Lillard missed. And yet, they fancy themselves still a very good team when healthy, despite a lot of evidence that suggests that maybe they're just not that good this year. Interesting, yeah. So you mentioned like, just the injury bug struck them so, so hard. Uh, lack of wings. I wanted to, to, and maybe I'm getting a little bit out of order here, but that's okay. Because you mentioned a guy that I really wanted to talk about with you because I think maybe a little underrated across the league right now, and that is Zach Collins. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously you said only three games before he got injured, but kind of what the team was expecting of Zach Collins and kind of what you see in him, especially now that he's healthy and ready to go down to Orlando. Well, the team was saw him as their every night power forward, despite a lot of evidence that he is a center, including his exit interview last season when he said, "I want to be a center in the NBA." But hey, you don't, we don't always get what we want. Uh, he is, in theory, kind of a stretchy big. He's seven feet tall. He kind of shoots threes. Um, he's a he's a versatile defender. He guarded you. Uh, I was gonna say Yusuf Nurkic. He guarded Nikola Jokic really well in the playoffs last year. Um, he's got great defensive instincts. He's it's somewhat versatile on the perimeter, but I don't I wouldn't oversell that too much. But he has the upside of a rim protecting, floor stretching big. Although we don't have, he just hasn't played a lot of NBA basketball to suggest that you can definitely depend on him to do that. But he he profiles as someone who is the sort of prototypical NBA big moving forward. Awesome. All right. Can you hit us with some highlights from the season? Obviously we kind of went over the low lights of everybody getting injured, but some of the highlights, uh, obviously Dame kind of forced his way in the MVP conversation for a little bit there, just with his outrageous performances, kind of trying to carry this team on his back. Uh, any certain flashbulb memories kind of stick out things that are going to be on the highlight reel whenever they get introduced down in Orlando. I think there's three. Um, and that, that kind of tells you what how you end up nine games under 500 or whatever they are, seven games under 500. Uh, the first week of McCarmel Anthony was really special. Um, he proved that he was an NBA player. Maybe not a high-level NBA player, but after 10 months off, basically 11 months off, he came back and looked like just a really a, a solid contributor. And the Blazers kind of let Mello be Mello was the secret to their sauce. They just said, if you want to isolate on the mid-block and not pass and you know, shoot after you jab step a bunch. We are happy to have it. We will, you know, carve out some space in the offense for that to happen. Uh, the other small ones is kind of out of order, but uh, Gary Trent Jr. emerged as a, as a legitimate 
NBA guard. Uh, he's probably not ready to play big starters minutes, but he looks like someone who could be a long-term answer as a guard in the league. He's 6'5". Uh, he's not an elite defender, but he competes really hard on that end, and he's just a high-level shooter. He's an above-average NBA shooter, and uh, he was not really supposed to be part of the rotation, and it turned out he was the best second-year guard on the team. Uh, Anthony Simons does not fall in this category of highlights for the season, for sure. And the biggest highlight of the season was that for six weeks, five weeks, Damian Lillard was the best player in the NBA. Uh, that includes LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo, but from late January to until he got hurt, basically, at, right at the All-Star break, there was not a better player in the league than Damian Lillard, who went on an, an absurd tear. He had, I believe, six consecutive games where he made eight straight three-pointers. He averaged 40-9 and nine for about 12 games, 11 games. He was just better than everyone else. And for a brief period, you said, okay, maybe if he plays at this level, the Blazers can get where they want to go. Very good. So, yeah, he, I mean, watching those games, he was just on a complete and total tear. And, you know, it's whenever he gets going like that, like you said, he can be the best player in the league. I think he rivals Steph at, at the, the height of Steph as far as, just excitement to watch because he can get his shot off. Obviously, as somebody who covers the Thunder, I know this. He can get his shot off from anywhere. And a lot of times, it, it's pretty damn accurate. So um, any organizational news over the hiatus? So we obviously have news about Trevor Ariza not going to the bubble um, and some guys getting healthy. But besides that, is there anything that's happened with the Blazers over the past three and a half months now that we need to know about? Uh, in, in addition to Trevor Reza, Caleb Swanigan is not going to go to the bubble. If you're worried about the 13th guy on the Blazers bench, he will not be joining them. Bummer. Um, th basically, the big news is that they're, they're getting healthy. And it sounds like they're going to go into Orlando with Yusuf Nurkic after a 15-month hiatus, ready to play 30-plus minutes a night. Um, they don't really have a small forward on the roster, um, apologies to Mario Hazonia, but they, so they're, they're going to have to figure it out on the wings a little bit, but they're going to be really big. And I think that's the big organizational news is that they are going, we're probably going to see minutes with Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic playing next to each other. I, that was literally my next question was, do you see those two bigs playing next to each other? I don't so see I guess... them playing particularly well next to each other, <laughs> yeah. but I do think it's a real thing. Uh, Nurk spoke, the Blazers have been rolling out guys to talk to the media via Zoom. So you get the, the sweet Zoom conferences with players and coaches. And Nurk said basically that Terry told him, Terry Stotts told him he's going to play a little bit of the four, but then he joked like, I can't, it's not like I can tell coach, play me 30 minutes at power forward. So I think it's going to be small doses where we see them playing together. Um, I worry that it's just a spacing nightmare on offense. And as yeah. good as, as good as Damon CJR, I'm, I think they'll be able to figure it out a little bit. And I don't think it's as rewarding enough on defense to make it a real experiment. Like if you could play two centers, other teams not named, uh, the Pacers would do it. Like it's, it's, um, I guess the Lakers do it, but they're unique. And Anthony Davis is like the third best player in the league. So it's just, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, the Blazers are going to have to maximize talent. So I think they're going to do it, but it's, it's not a, it's not a good idea. So that leads me to my next question then in Orlando. And, and, and maybe this question has been answered already and I just haven't heard it yet. Is Melo going to start at the three? S sure sounds like it. Uh, Damon Lloyd said that he could he could see that happening. 
Um, and when the guy who has his hands in a lot of the decisions the franchise makes says he can see it happening, I believe it's because he has seen it happen, um, at least in sort of the plans that Terry Stotts has laid out. Stotts said the same thing, that he, he while he, he can't foresee it being big chunks of time, that Melo is going to have to play some three just because they have a bunch of centers who need minutes. And that means those centers play power forward. Everyone kind of gets... Um, bumped out of the way so uh yeah i i do think mellow is your i I think mellow is your starting small forward july 31st against the memphis grizzlies that's wild yeah it's it was a it was a bad idea to play carmel anthony at small forward in 2014 yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no i'm with you so with all that being said then it leaves this interesting conundrum. Like you mentioned, they're really short on wings. Are we going to see guys like Gary Trent Jr. play the three? And is Nasir Little going to get a lot of minutes down in Orlando? Yeah, I think it's Nasir and Gary Trent Jr. who play a bunch there. I, Mario Mario Azonia is like probably better than Nasir Little just in terms of like talent, but um, he's not a Stotts favorite. He's, he's the guy that Stotts yells at, so it's the other, the other two are your better options. I thought Gary Trent Jr. was going to start at small forward. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes games at small forward. He's not, like, it's not a good idea to have him guard, you know, Luka Doncic and LeBron James, but it's not like they have a better idea on the roster. I'm not sure that that person exists, and Trent is an above-average Obviously, a good shooter, just straight up above league average shooter and a competitive defender. So I think he's going to play a ton at small forward. And I I don't think that's the worst plan. Like, I think that's their best. It might not be their most talent, but it might be their best fit. Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about it more and more, it really is interesting. The the Blazers feel like they have so many good guards, right? I mean, we've mentioned Gary Trent Jr. who can slide up to the three, but he's been playing really well. And he's a two. They have a ton of bigs on this team, and just the massive hole is right there in the middle, arguably the most important position in the NBA in 2020, which is, you know, a big athletic wing. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of fare against other teams like the Clippers, like the Lakers, who kind of have those those players already on roster. And it's also fascinating because the Thunder are in a similar position where they really lack that big wing in the middle. Whoa, whoa. You're going to say that to Lou Dort's face? Uh, all right. Lou Dort is maybe my favorite NBA player of all time. <laughs> so uh, the only NBA player that I think can go out there and guard LeBron James on one possession, Dame the next, and then go run for 250 yards in an NFL game. Yeah, well, maybe Mark is smart, but he's up there. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So – how are you feeling about the the eight game seeding schedule for Portland? So I'm, in all honesty, I don't have it in front of me. Um, I know Portland does have that benefit of having played more games, so their win percentage is is slightly higher. But how do you feel about those eight regular season games? What do you see them going in those? And is there a legitimate chance that they force a play-in tournament for that eighth seed with Memphis or the Pelicans? Yeah, here, I pulled it up, so I'll read it to you. Grizzlies, Celtics, Rockets, Nuggets, Clippers, Sixers, Mavericks, Nets. So a, a lot of good teams, and they didn't get sort of that favorable play the Bucks at the end of the, of the uh, end of the eight games when the Bucks will definitely be mailing it in and playing, who knows, uh, is Dragon Bender still on the roster? Um, I, I think, th- I think here's the problem with, here's what happened to the Blazers. They had a super cake schedule heading into the, like the initial season, like when it was called off in March. They had six games 
left on their schedule against against teams that are not going to the bubble. So like they were going to play the Hornets and the Pistons and just a bunch of truly bad teams who would be in the sort of active losing mode, like the true tank mode, and they lost that. So like by virtue of the way the season by virtue of the restart plan, they lost their chance to have this really favorable schedule. So I don't think they got screwed so much as just like logistics worked against them and logistics seemed to help out the Pelicans who went from having a very easy schedule to a still very easy schedule. Um, so I, I think that the Blazers have a good chance at forcing a uh, a play-in tournament, but I... I think that's their only route to get in. They're obviously not going to make up three and a half games and leapfrog Memphis. And I think not just New Orleans, but also Sacramento, assuming everyone shows up and is healthy for those teams, um, not just virus related, but like physically healthy for those teams, those, that, they're going to pose a huge threat to the Blazers too. So I'm, I'm less worried about the schedule and more worried just about the math. There are three, there are two teams that are right there that are, maybe equally talented and Memphis seems like they have almost no way to give up the eighth spot. So it'll, it'll be tight, but the Blazers, the Blazers definitely have a chance, but it's not like a, I don't, I don't see it as a likely scenario. Okay. So let's say they did force a play in scenario though. Which of those teams do you like their chances against most and like their chances against least out of Memphis, the Pelicans. And I'm glad you brought up Sacramento because I think Sacramento can make a little bit of noise. Yeah, I think they're a pretty good team. Yeah, I, they were playing a lot better. Like I kind of, um, it, it took them a few months to figure out how to be good, but they kind of they they seem to be gelling at the at the right time after um, they figured out what to do with Buddy Heald, etc. Um, I, I think they don't want to play under any circumstances. The Pelicans they got smoked against the Pel four zero and four against the Pelicans this year, and, and a couple of those were, were out without Zion, maybe two at least two, maybe three without Zion. So like they're that's that's a bad matchup for them. Too much too much athleticism on the wings. Drew Holiday is a guy who always seems to give Dame problems. Uh that's that's a tough matchup for him. I don't think it's Memphis, even though it's going to be Memphis, because I don't think they have a good answer for how athletic Memphis can be with their bigs. Like uh particularly uh I'm blanking on his name. Brandon, what's his face? Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark, just too athletic. Like he's just he's too bouncy. Um, he's he's too he's too bouncy for them to handle. I guess maybe Zach Collins figures to be a better matchup than than Mello, but uh, that's not a great uh, great option. So I guess by process of elimination, the Kings are the preferred matchup. Um, but there, but that <laughs> there's very little math that suggests that they'll be playing the Kings. That so, would be uh, and, and everything wild that's happened in 2020. That yeah. would that would make the list for sure. A, yeah. a Blazers Kings playing game. Yeah. So I I think it's the Kings because they're the worst and of the of those four teams, just like talent wise, maybe the Blazers are the worst of the four teams talent wise. But uh, I think that's that's their their best bet. I just don't think like it's. Almost any of those other teams are going to be playing Memphis. Memphis just has such a leg up mathematically that that it's it's can it's the answer. The question is, can you go six and two, and then can you beat the Grizzlies twice? And for me, that's a hard maybe for the Blazers. Yeah, and a, a Memphis Portland playing games would be a blast. I mean, to see though those backcourts go up against each other. I think a lot of people keep forgetting Memphis has Justice Winslow on the team now. And they I were think... beat up in March. Like they were they Winslow wasn't healthy yet. Uh 
Jaron Jackson was out. Like they, yep. they, they also got healthy over these three months. So the Grizzlies have been hooked up because they were looking at a tough schedule with a banged up roster too. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the long layoff, three months, it's going to be almost four months until we get back to basketball. Aside of guys getting healthy due to injury, guys like Zach Collins and Nurk, are there any players on this Blazers roster that you think have benefited from this four-month layoff? Maybe just rest, maybe young guys who have had the chance to grow and get better. Who are some of those guys that you think maybe benefited the most from that four-month layoff? Oh, I I kind of am of the belief that no one benefits from having this much unstructured time off. Um, But... Perhaps it is uh, perhaps it is someone like Gary Trent Jr. who has who maybe wasn't used to how much how long and what how grueling the NBA season is when you have to play so much and now with a defined role and a little bit of time to sort of get that get his body right he'll be ready to uh, to take on the role maybe it benefits Mello and older somebody older who gets a little bit of time off but I I just get the sense that this much unstructured downtime is such a huge challenge. Um, that it's that it's bad news. Like Dame said on his on his conference call or whatever, that like he could go play a game today, he would just be tired as hell. And I kind of think that that's that is the case for nearly everyone. Definitely. So you you have to settle something for me real quick, and maybe you have the answer, maybe you don't. But in making bets on you know the muscle watch of the past four months, and we see guys like Zion coming back real cut. We see you know Nikola Jokic who's lost roughly five hundred pounds. One of my favorite ones to to contemplate is Carmelo Anthony. So have have you been able to see him on a Zoom call? Has he slimmed up? Is he same old Melo? Has he maybe put on a few extra pounds from drinking too much wine? You know, I've I've watched him do a lot of interviews with celebrities on his Instagram. Not a lot, but like I've seen the clips of of them. Uh, I don't watch what's in your glass. Sorry, Melo. <laughs> Apologies, it's not my type of content. Um, I I don't know. I, I like I do think he could be big. Like I think there's a pretty good chance that Melo comes back. Like he's already kind of a thick guy, right? Yeah. Like that's oh yeah. Like his just his build. Um. So, I I worry a little bit about him, but I haven't seen him. He hasn't been on the Zoom call. Um. He's not. He doesn't seem to be the person who they take photos of, like promotional photos of in the gym. Um. So I I don't know. Uh. It's hard for me to speculate. Like Carmelo's going to be fat. I don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah. No. No. But like uh. He's definitely like he's 36 years old and he likes to drink wine. And as someone who also kind of fits that exact demographic, um, I know how it goes. Like you can it's it's easy to gain weight when you're sitting around at home. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, two more questions for you real quick. First one, your prediction for Portland down in the bubble. Are, are they going home after the eight seeding games? Are they forcing a play in game? Are they making the playoffs? You know, I have been so consistent betting against Damian Lillard and then feeling bad about it. <laughs> or picking against Damian Lillard, I should say, and then feeling bad about it. Like, um, I definitely picked them to lose against OKC in the playoffs last year, and then again against Denver, 0 for two. Um, so maybe in in his in the spirit of Dame, I'll say that they do force a play in tournament and come up just short. But like, if I'm if I'm answering honestly, I think they go four and four and, and don't get a play in tournament. Like, I, okay. I just think I just don't think the roster makes enough sense. Um, but you know, I, I want to break up my, my general streak and say, yeah, play in tournament, baby. There we go. I like it. I like it. Hey, that's more games for, for the rest of us to watch. So I'm there all, go. I'm all game for that. All right. Last one. Since the league is resuming in the most magical place on earth in Disney world, 
We're going to play a quick word association game. I'm going to give you a Disney character. You tell me which trailblazer best matches that character. Uh, so we'll, we'll just do a handful here. Let's start with Hercules. Oh, um, that's going to be Hassan Whiteside. Uh, really high opinion of himself, but low-level hero. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> I like that. All right, let's go complete and total opposite here and go with Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Hmm. I'm going to say Tinkerbell is CJ McCollum, a underappreciated sidekick unless you're close to to him and then he's overappreciated. I think Pixie Dust a little bit overrated, but I think t- uh, in general Peter Pan's getting too much credit. All right, I like it. What about Mufasa from The Lion King? That's got to be Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> I know that Mufasa dies in Carmelo Anthony's 36, <laughs> so I do feel a little bit bad about that. Okay, it's okay to be in your middle 30s. That's a great age to be, Melo. Um but you know, he's the sort of older dispensing wisdom, holding Dame up on Pride Rock and saying, look, someday all this can be yours. And Dame says, dog, it's already mine. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's do two more. We got to go with the mouse himself, Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's Dame. I mean, he's the he's the ringleader, the face and the um, the unapologetic star. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that one. Last one. And this one might be a bit of a stretch. Elsa from Frozen. Okay, not familiar with the new set of of uh, of Disney movies. I okay, oh, so so I'll throw you another one then. All let's right, do let's do Scar from Lion King. If if Mello's Mufasa, who's <laughs> okay, Scar? Who was who was like the villain on the team? Um, hmm. I'm gonna say it's it's sort of Yusuf Nurkic because he likes to like talk smack and he loves this sort of bad boy image but he's also like a really good teammate so he's not exactly scar but he's he sort of has um he's got scar tendencies okay that works i love it well mike man thank you so much for jumping on here to talk with us about the portland trailblazers make sure you guys check out mike's work for nbc sports northwest listen to his podcast the locked on blazers podcast you can find it anywhere you get your pods and follow him on twitter at mike g rich mike again thank you so much man thanks for having me Thanks again to Mike for joining the podcast this week. And before we get on to our last interview, I wanted to take a quick moment and tell you guys about BoomtownHoops.com. If you haven't already, you really need to check it out. Boomtown Hoops is your go-to website for all Thunder and NBA news, analysis, coverage. And best part about it all is the Discord channel where you can go and hang out with other Thunder, NBA, and pop culture fans to discuss anything under the sun, including with us personally from the uncontested we're in there all the time so make sure you check out boomtownhoops.com they're also on twitter at boomtownhoops you will not be disappointed now let's get you over to the final interview of the day justin sat down with solomon ollie the host of red hoops nation and contributor to espn 97.5 enjoy We are now joined by a contributor to ESPN 97.5 in Houston, a contributor at Hoops Habit, and the host of the Blue Wire podcast, Red Nation Hoops, here to talk all things Houston Rockets with us, Salman Ali. You can find him on Twitter at Salman Ali NBA. Salman, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we are getting ever closer to the bubble. 
And there's nobody who has maybe been dissected more than the Houston Rockets. Uh, they've had an up-and-down season, but nobody can deny that they've been one of the most intriguing storylines in the NBA and one of the funnest teams to watch. Uh, to recap a little bit for our listeners, the Rockets are sitting at 40-24 and 24 prior to the suspension of the season, which has currently put them at 6th place in the West. Same record as Oklahoma City, but because of tiebreakers, they are sitting in 6th. Since the All-Star break, the Rockets went 6-4. and four. They came out really hot and then kind of skidded as the team went into March. But I've got to ask, looking at the season as a whole, what would you say are some of the highlights? What are the high points of the season for the Houston Rockets? Well, listen, I can't speak for them, but if I were to guess, what they would say is probably when Clint got hurt and they were forced to play microball and then they... Yeah. Re- and then they realized it was really good for them, and then they decided to go all in and traded for Robert Covington. Uh, they beat the Lakers, they beat the Celtics twice, they beat the Jazz, uh, and th- that's just after the Robert Covington trade. They, right. they they won a few games before that, and they really realized that was their identity moving forward. That was the identity that they needed to double down on, and I think that's really where they found their most joy in the season because Russell Westbrook was free. Mm-hmm. He was playing with a space floor, finding guys for open threes. Harden was find, finding himself next to Westbrook a lot easier. Uh, I, I think those guys were a clunky fit at first next to each other, but one, once they got floor spacing at all five positions other than Russ, uh, they finally found uh, a dynamic that worked for them. The whole Pocket Rockets experiment probably one of the most fascinating points of the entire NBA season, not just the Houston Rockets. I remember the first game where they were bringing out that lineup after the trade, and I've never seen, outside of, you know, big marquee finals matchups, I don't think I've ever seen NBA Twitter so unified on one game. Everybody had to tune in to see how that would turn out. And wasn't that the game? That was the game against the Lakers, correct? Yeah, that was the game against the Lakers, and it, it was definitely something that I was looking forward to because it, it challenged everything that I'd known about basketball, everything yeah, that I b- believe about, about basketball. Because I, I used to always tell my friends, like, if you want to know who's going to win a game, you can go check the box score app on your NBA on your phone on your phone, the NBA app or whatever, and you can check the rebounding stat. And seventy five percent of the time, the the team that wins the rebounding battle is going to win the basketball game. That's just the way it's always worked. And the Rockets were forfeiting that uh, and saying, we're, we want to win the turnover battle. Screw the, the yeah. rebounding battle. We want to win the turnover battle. We're going to win the game that way. Uh, we're going to win the game with pace. We're going to win the game with the space floor. It, it challenged everything everyone's known about basketball over the last 50 years. And right. it, 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 was, it was just something to behold. I, no, nobody knew if it was going to work or not, but it was something that we had to watch. Absolutely. And, and it's taken the, the trend of, you know, every team slowly been getting smaller and smaller, most famously with the Warriors death lineup. And now it's kind of taking that and pushing it to the absolute extreme. It's interesting. You mentioned rebounds since they switched to that small ball lineup on January 31st. The Rockets have actually been out rebounded by 9.4 rebounds per game, I'm which not is surprised. the worst yeah. differential in the NBA in that time span. But like you said, they're making up for it in other ways. Yeah, and the like. I guess that's the that's the whole theory behind the case, right? We're like, we will we will not win this rebounding battle. We know that. You know, Mike D'Antoni can posture all he wants, like talking about how they want to try and keep the rebounding battle close. Like, yeah. I don't think they actually believe they can do that. <laughs> uh, the tallest player on their lineup is six seven. Like, the, the, what they're trying to do is win the turnover battle and and keep 
uh, turnovers low for them and, and force a lot of steals on the other end and get a lot of fast break points that way. And that really benefits the uh, Russ and playing at a high pace and you know, getting open three-pointers. I, that's their whole game plan. That's their whole theory of the case going into the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see if it's going to work. I, I don't know if anyone can say if, if this is a success or not. It's been so up and down. Um, it's been pr- record-wise, they're pretty much the same before the trade versus mm-hmm. after the trade. Right. And I mean, if even if you look go, break it down to net rating, defensive rating, offensive, like their net rating is pretty much the same number uh, from post All Star break or post trade deadline and pre trade deadline. Uh, it, it really is just a different style. Yeah. Um, and, and and my guess is we'll talk about this later on. Um, they really struggled before they start before the season was suspended. I wonder uh how that would have naturally played itself out. That that is fascinating. Before we get into kind of heading into the bubble, I want to talk about what happened maybe during that hiatus. Any significant uh, organizational news? Uh, the biggest one that that stands out injury wise is that Tabo Cephalosho is opted out of going to the bubble. Do you think that's a big impact or is it kind of nominal? It could potentially be. It really depends on how the Rockets fare health wise in the playoffs. I mm. I, I think. Tabo Cephalosha was unlikely to play uh, in the playoffs, and it was really a matter of if someone gets hurt, you can play Tabo in a pinch at center, and yeah. y- you can't do that anymore. Uh, and and I, my best guess is that Imba Mute, the guy that they signed, um, or the, the guy that they're playing to sign, they haven't signed him yet, uh, is his replacement, and he will be the guy they play at center in a pinch if it works out in the regular season. If if Luke Mbamute Mute gets playing time in the final eight games, we'll, we'll get to see if he has a role with the team or not. Uh, w- my best guess is that he will replace uh, Tabo Cephalosha. But if he if he's not, if he's just not Luke Mbamute Mute anymore, like he hasn't mm-hmm. played basketball in a year and a half, right? Uh, then it, it could really be a problem for them. They're, they're going to have to depend on guys like Jeff Green and Damari Carroll, and that could really get ugly for them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. What do you think about Tyson Chandler? Do you think he has much of a role, or do you think? If you see Tyson Chandler on the floor, it's probably bad news. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, Tyson Chandler at this point knows what his role is on the team. Uh, he is their break in case of emergency guy. Where right. if, if they're just getting pounded on the offensive glass or something like that, they will they will throw him out there. But otherwise, he's not going to play. Like I think at the when they really signed Tyson, they had intended for him to be Clint Capella's backup, and yeah, the, obviously they've shifted direction so quickly. Uh, and now they've they've just kept him around just in case just to have one seven footer on the team. Like if if you notice, <laughs> he is the only traditional center right? on the team. They right. have now uh, during this hiatus waived Isaiah Hardenstein, right? And uh, and say, signed David Nwaba, who is, has a torn Achilles. So he Tyson Chandler at this point is the only traditional center on the team. So he is their break in case of emergency guy at this point. <laughs> So you alluded to it a moment ago, but now let, let's look uh, as we're heading into the bubble. What was your feeling as somebody who's embedded with this team, covering this team closely? What was your feeling about the Rockets uh, heading into the shutdown? Because I think there was lots of narratives around, okay, the, you know, the small ball revolution looked good for a minute and then it kind of slid off. What was your take on things? So they ended the season at an awkward spot because obviously they lost four out of their last five, but they, but really they they went on a four game losing streak and then they won one game. And I, yeah. my, my, my thinking is that they were going to try and build out that momentum and try to build 
some sort of winning streak off that, and they mm-hmm. never got to because it was it was that awkward spot where the season ended right there, right then and there. And the next game was supposed to be the game without fans, if you remember that that was right. gonna be that was gonna be the first official game where we finally see how um, how games work without fans, and we're gonna see that in Orlando. But right. the plan was for that to be in NBA arenas. So um, yeah, it was it was an awkward spot. I I I never really had a feel for them at that moment. I th- I thought. When they were winning games, I was like, okay, they found their identity. I know what they are. They're really successful playing this specific way. Then they went on that four-game losing streak, and I didn't have a good feel for them anymore. So I, I'm guessing that uh, we'll see. We'll learn a lot more, more about them in the, the final eight games of the season. Uh, and I, I, I'm not sure if the NBA is going to plan on airing these scrimmages. Uh, I, I don't know what the plan is for yeah, their broadcasting so. partners. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting to see if they do. Um, but yeah. It, if we can see those scrimmages, we'll learn some there too. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I think really the idea is let's see how they look in these final eight games. We'll get an idea there. Uh, and then going into the playoffs, we can start making our evaluations. Yeah. So you mentioned the eight games ahead for Houston, Dallas, Milwaukee, Portland, the Lakers, Sacramento, San Antonio, Indiana, and Philadelphia. How do you feel about that schedule for the Rockets? Um, it's fine. I mean, obviously they're not going to have an easy schedule either way. No team is going to have an easy schedule either way. It's all playoff teams. Um, and it was one of those things where I think the Rockets would rather have a softer schedule so they can, you know, recover from that four game losing streak. But again, like I, I, it's, it's tough for me to evaluate what the season is. And what I mean by that is like, I've been trying to rack my brains around how do we evaluate what teams were versus what they're going to be in yeah, Orlando. Absolutely. Because four months off is just ridiculous. We've never seen that before in NBA history right. where a season just stops like that. And, you know, it's essentially an off season. And mm-hmm. when, when we get an off season, we're supposed to traditionally evaluate teams differently than what we evaluated them before. But the rosters are pretty much the same. Like not, there's a 90% overlap in rosters, whereas in an off season, there's going to be a little bit more overhaul. So I guess we have to take some away from what we saw in the season, but how much so? I don't know. Like it, it, that's, that's where really where I'm struggling from this right. as a writer. Like, like yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a classic overthinker as it is. It hurts. I, <laughs> I suck. I, I'm at the drive through for like 10 minutes trying to figure out what I'm going to get. And this, this thing is just, it's, it's just, it's breaking my brain in a way that I feel, I feel really uncomfortable about it. Well, it's tough to even evaluate a schedule of, Oh, that should be a win. That should, uh, you know, that'll be tough when really these teams could be completely different. Like you mentioned, it's like an off season, what they looked like three months ago could look totally different just because of the amount of time, but also because of the situation, playing in the bubble, playing in these unfamiliar gyms without fans at 1130 in the morning could be totally different than what they look like in the Toyota Center at uh, eight o'clock at night. And so you have to kind of take all of those things into account. I'm curious, specifically to the the lack of fans and the home court, do you think that'll affect the Rockets much? Or do you think that, you know, they're they're pretty even, it shouldn't matter too much? Well, as odd as it may be to say, it actually might help them in the playoffs because they were a sixth seed and they were going to have right. to play every single playoff team on the road as it stands. I'm sure they're going to try to move up, try to get a four seed. But sure. um, I mean, for the most part, if they were going to make a deep playoff run, at least three out of their four rounds were going to be on the road. 
And like that's tough. Like that that's just it's really unlikely to win that way. The Rockets are actually one of the only teams that's ever done it. Uh in the in the 90s like uh-huh. they they won as as a 6 seed. So like it's one of those things where I think this might actually help them uh in that respect, but in other respects, I mean, it's going to be awkward for everybody to play without fans originally yeah, like right. I, I I my guess is the NBA is going to try to pump in some crowd noise, some right. some, some in arena sound effects. Yeah, some in arena <laughs> music, something because it, for the television product, it's going to be really weird. I, for sure. I, if anything, it's it, you have to put in something to help the television product. Absolutely. So everybody knows Russell Westbrook, James Harden, uh, the the two headed monster that is the Houston Rockets. But I want to know from you, outside of those two, who are kind of your players to watch heading into the bubble for Houston? Well, see, th- that's what's interesting about this this four month layoff. Eric Gordon, who had been struggling with the knee injuries all throughout the season, shot twenty eight percent from three point range. Right. Um, ha- had surgery mid season. Uh, this a guy who just returned before the season was suspended has now had four months four months to recover. Yeah. And I'm wondering uh how that's gonna affect him uh going into Orlando like he's obviously he's obviously going to be rusty every team's going to be every player is going to be rusty but I I'm wondering if he feels better if he's moving better if if he looks better going into the season like I I think if any if this layoff helps anybody it's Eric Gordon uh because that guy uh needed some time off he needed some time away from the game this was his probably one of his worst seasons uh it definitely his worst season as a rocket, but probably yeah. the, one of his worst seasons in his, in his career. It's, it's just just a rough season for him overall. Uh, trying to get adjusted to the new teammate and Russell Westbrook, and also uh, you know dealing with the knee injuries. I mean, he's had such an up and down. So he had a fifty point game in Memphis, and it, it's just it's really hard uh, for. It's been really hard for him this season. And and my best guess is that is the biggest player to watch for the Rockets. I, if 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 I were to circle anybody from their roster. That that's the guy. Uh, that's their biggest X fa- their biggest X factor going into the playoffs. He determines what they will be as a contender, uh, if they're a contender at all. Uh, because Eric Gordon at full health, I mean, that's a guy who's shooting thirty eight percent from three point range, off the dribble, uh, dynamic ball handler, changes the makeup of your team. Can play can play competent defense, switch everything. Um, he's he's the guy who changes the dynamic of your team. Uh, more than any other player on the, on the Rockets other than James Harden and Russell Westbrook. What about uh, Ben McLemore? McLemore was kind of the, the three-point sniper for the Rockets a little bit. Do you think that his three-point stroke comes with him to Orlando, or do you think it, it fades away with the time off? Well, it's interesting because the Rockets actually brought him in to be basically a replacement for Gerald Green, right? Like, like yeah, right. I don't think I don't think they thought of it. They thought of it when they signed him, but Gerald yeah. Green hurt his foot, and then he became the de facto Gerald Green uh, once he took over that position. And he's done a really good job in that role. Like, he is basically uh, a three point gunner, and he's and he's really really good in that role. Um, and you know, I I think for for a player like that, the crowd environment may be different because players like that thrive off the crowd. But again. Yeah. Like nobody's gonna have that element right. on their side, so it levels uh, the playing field a little bit. Right, right, and uh, it, it will be interesting to see if his his continued good play goes with them to Orlando. I think it will. I mean, this is a guy who's been in the league for uh, plenty of years. Uh, he has time under his belt. Uh, I think he's found a solid role with the Rockets, uh, a role that I'm not sure if he envisioned for himself coming out of the draft, yeah. but it's a role that fits him really well. I interviewed him earlier this year. And he talked about how 
you know, the expectations for him in Sacramento were so different from what they are in Houston. Mm. And yeah. it's it's kind of refreshing because playing under Mike D'Antoni, you're expected to, to do one thing. And w- when you don't do that one thing, you are chastised, which is shoot the basketball. <laughs> right. And uh, he loves it. He loves playing. He loves shooting the basketball. He loves running the floor and dunking and finding his opportunities. Uh, this is really a uh, ideal situation for him. Fascinating. So we've talked about some of, some of the underrated guys, the role players. We got to talk about the big dogs. Uh, James Harden kind of lit quarantine NBA Twitter ablaze. Uh, Skinny Harden was trending. Uh, what do you think about James Harden uh, aside from his physique? Do you think he's able to come out and find his groove again? Oh man! So th- this is funny because James Harden's people were were leaking this like behind the scenes for a while. Like they 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 they, they were teasing <laughs> that 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 Harden had been working out. He'd been in the gym. He'd been he'd been uh, getting into shape for like throughout uh, before before that article by Kelly Ego, the Athletic came out. Like it, it, and so you ha- you you had a feeling that something was coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm not sure how much of a difference this makes because it's not like James Harden was playing like a scrub before he he, right. he lost all this weight. But right. um, you know, it'd be interesting. I I I don't think he was out of shape. Like I was just watching him. I yeah. I, I never got that feel this season. But maybe he felt like he needed to adapt his body to hmm. Houston's new style of play. They're going to be running more. They're going to be playing with a higher pace. Maybe he he feel, he felt like he needed to drop the weight. I don't know. He knows his body better than I do. Uh, for for the most part, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, I, if at all. I think, um, you know, ever since 2015, Harden's done a pretty good job of make of taking care of his body. You yeah. never really had to worry about him coming into camp out of shape. Uh, you that 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 one season in 2015 was pretty bad, but uh, ever since then, he's been pretty on top of it. I I, I don't think uh, there's really much there to talk about. I mean, you know, I'll say this: one thing is. One thing I'm interested in seeing is, you know, Harden had been this dependable post defender, right? This really thick body that can defend post players. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really strong, and he, and I, I imagine he'll still be able to do that. But I wonder if if he's limited a little bit by by dropping the weight. Like yeah. I want, I wonder if dropping the weight limits the way he's he's able to defend some of these post players because the Rockets are going to depend on him to defend post players. Right. That's what I was going to say with the Pocket Rockets. They need some of that versatility in some of their smaller guys in order to make that lineup work, especially on the defensive end. That'll be fascinating. Uh, on the flip side, you hit on it a little bit earlier, but really the the groove of Russell Westbrook was on full display once the switch to the the ultimate small ball took place. Russell Westbrook was more free, and it seemed like for the first time maybe since he had joined Houston, he was really utilizing all of his strengths and really uh, showing why Houston traded for him. Do you expect that to continue, or do you think, will it be a little bit like the beginning of the season again where they kind of have to find their feel again? Yeah, it's gonna. I, I, I think they're going to have to find their feel again, but I think by the second game of whatever this is, uh, I think, I think, I think he'll be able to, I think the team will be fine. I think they'll be, I think they'll find their groove playing with Russ again. Um, I, I do think, you know, in, in the case of having four months off, I, I do think the, the prior season or the beginning of the season helped them like getting a chance to play with Russ, getting to see how he feels, getting to see where he likes the ball, uh, g- getting that rhythm down with Russ helps. Uh, I, I think the dynamic with Russ and James will be cleaner than it was yeah. at the beginning of the season. Um, but you know, it, again, this is a entirely different season. We have to view it differently. Right. So, so 
I, I God knows. God knows. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to see. So let's, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot then. Uh, let's get a prediction. What do you think we get out of Houston? Uh, where do they fall in the standings and where do they net out in the playoffs? I hate this question. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm going to use a lot of my uh, preseason confirmation bias on this because okay. all, all, all of preseason, I had thought that the Clippers were really the best team, to, the team to beat in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. I've, I like that team so much that their roster makeup makes sense to me defensively and offensively. Their depth is great. Um, and I, I think they're going into quarantine They're They, they, to me, just looking at their roster, they, 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 to me are, are still the team to beat. Um, and going down there, like going down the line, I think that second tier of teams, I think you can you can interchange Houston into any of those teams. Like I think hmm. you, you you can say Houston makes it to the conference finals. They lose the, they lose in the second round. I don't think they lose in the first round. So I yeah. think I think right now what you're looking at is Houston either loses in a competitive second round to a team like the Lakers, or they mm-hmm. lose uh, in the Western Conference to a team like the Clippers. Fascinating. Uh, will be interesting to see for sure. Last thing before we go. We've been doing this with everybody because the NBA is restarting at Disney World. I want to play a little game. So I'll name a Disney character, and you tell me who from the Houston Rockets most closely matches. You ready? Sure. Okay, let's start with uh, the leader of them all, Mickey Mouse. Uh, James Harden. I like it. Uh, Next, let's look at Mufasa. Mufasa. So this was the bad line, right? Like, this is the evil Mufasa one? Mufasa was the good one. Scar was oh, the bad one. But yes. if you'd like to okay. do Scar, we can do that, too. No, let, let's, stick, let's stick with the good one. Let's stick, okay. Well, you know what? Let's do Scar later on. Let's do Scar later on. I, I, have, okay. so, I, I have a candidate for that. Okay. Let, let's do Mufasa right now. Um, so Mufasa, I'm going to say, I think the obvious answer here is Russ. Uh, he, he really has taken on the team's identity. Uh, much like Mufasa did in Lion King. Uh, I, I, I think I think right now, Russ, um, more than anybody on the Rockets, which is very strange to say, uh, exemplifies their identity as a team, especially in the microball era. I like it. And would be absolutely bizarre to think about that sentence uh, 12 months ago. <laughs> I mean, it's, I bizar- it's bizarre today. It's a bizarre yeah, question sure. in general, but, but I like it. <laughs> Um, so now you, you piqued my interest. I got to know who's Scar. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Scar is Jeff Green because okay. Jeff Green is that guy that every team's taking a chance on. They, they, <laughs> they think he's going to be good for their team. Uh, and, and he has his moments. He has his moments of bright, uh, of brightness and everybody thinks he's going to be like, this is it. This is, this is where Jeff Green finally finds his role in the NBA. And, you know, a lot of people thought he could be that in Houston, you know, playing small ball center and you know maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe he is that but my feeling is is jeff green could be can can be the fly in the ointment here like i Hmm. I, like he if 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 it doesn't work out with jeff green uh it could be a rough playoff moment where he's benched for the rest of the playoffs like my my feeling is he has a short string going into it and uh yeah that's that that, that's scar that's to me that that was the obvious scar interesting i like it yeah. So now let me ask, who's Goofy? Goofy. Um. Wow. I. I see. You want to say Gerald Green, but he's not on the team anymore, right? So. <laughs> right. Let, let Let's say Ben McLemore. Ben McLemore okay. takes nice. over for Gerald Green. Let's 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 say uh, Ben McLemore is Goofy here. I like it. Yeah. Uh. Last but not least, is there an Eeyore on the Houston Rockets? 
Let's change this character. I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with this. With with who Eeyore is. I'm, okay. I apologize. Okay. No, you're good. Let's go. Uh, let's go with Tinkerbell. Okay. Who, who's got the pixie dust? Um, PJ Tucker. PJ nice. Tucker has 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 the pixie ducks because he will more than anybody on the Rockets determine how far they will be as a defense and uh, defensively is really where the Rockets need to improve things to 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 get to the next level as a contender. Uh, we know they're going to be a, a really good offense like that. That's already yeah. set in stone. Defensively, how good will they be with with Robert Covington, PJ Tucker? Uh, Daniel House, like, like I think PJ Tucker determines everything for them. He's going to be the guy defending LeBron James. He's going to be the guy defending Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he's going to have every tough assignment. Uh, he's he's the guy who makes up their defensive identity more than anybody on the team. If they didn't have PJ Tucker, they would not be doing what they're doing as a team right now. I like it. Those are solid picks. That'll do it for us, Salman. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you getting us ready to watch the Houston Rockets in the bubble. Yeah, sure. I, I I'm excited to do it, man. Awesome. If you don't already, go follow Salman on Twitter, Salman Ali NBA. Check out ESPN 97.5 if you're in Houston. Read his work on Hoops Habit and obviously subscribe to his podcast, Red Nation Hoops, wherever you get your podcasts. That'll do it. Thanks so much. Awesome. Just one more time, want to give a big shout out to our guests this week, Keith Parrish, Mike Richmond, and Salman Ali. Great, great interviews, and I hope you all are enjoying the Under the Bubble series. Again, if you haven't already listened to the first four episodes, I would highly encourage you to go back and do so. Great, great interviews with a lot of really intelligent and plugged-in people, so it's really worth your time. Make sure to check out BlueWirePods.com. Find your next sports podcast, and visit BoomTownHoops.com for all of your Thunder and NBA wants and needs. When you're there, make sure to join the Discord as well and come hang out with us. We will be back with another episode of Under the Bubble next Wednesday. And before then, we will be back again with you guys with our normal Friday podcast. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your pods so you can get that. And we will talk to you all soon. Have a great week. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.
From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.